Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation between two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and helping people navigate their careers within organizations, and also obsessed with pop culture. I'm Virginia Martinez. And my name's Kara Kirby. Together, we have over 20 years of working inside of organizations, and now we both work outside with companies all over the world, helping them drive their people-first practices. This first season of Pop On Leadership is dedicated to a show called Ted Lasso. We're going to walk through the first 10 episodes, unpacking all the leadership lessons along the way. So let's get into it. Okay, welcome back to Pop On Leadership, everybody. We are so excited today to give you another bonus episode of a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, which is leading organizations and leading teams in a positive way. So throughout the episode, you probably heard me and Virginia talk a lot about how Ted comes into the team. He starts this team and he uses a different approach. He uses a positive approach inside of his practice, inside of his tactics. And you also probably heard me say the words appreciative inquiry often. So today is all about learning about what appreciative inquiry is. One of the most wonderful things about Ted Lasso is that he gives us an insight into how to use this methodology and how to help them come to life. So we are so excited today because we are bringing in experts in the field to teach us about appreciative inquiry, talk to us about how they use it how to transform organizations and help transform people's lives, and also how do we do it through having great conversations. So with that being said, um, Sherry and Jackie, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners today? Sure. Um, I'm Sherry Torres, and I've been working in the field of appreciative inquiry since the late 90s. And prior to that, before I knew anything about appreciative inquiry, my attitude, my way of looking at the world was very much an appreciative inquiry approach. And I would imagine that many of your listeners are in that same place, especially if they watch Ted Lasso and they resonated. They're like, oh, that's how I do it. Um, that's what appreciative inquiry is all about. Um, and Jackie and I have been working together since 2005 writing um, and always wanted, both of us always wanted to figure out how do we bring this practice to people so they could use it every day in their lives to build strong families, really meaningful relationships and have success at work. Um, and our first attempt in 2005 um, was a, it, it was an attempt, but this last, <laughs> the last the last one with conversations worth having, I feel like um, we really got to a place where it was simple enough for people to practice every day. Thank you, Sherry. Um, so I'm Jackie Stavros. I'm Sherry's um, colleague, friend, and co-author of Conversations Worth Having. And I was introduced to Appreciative Inquiry, the other AI, um, back in 1995. And it was like a gift realizing that there was a theory and a practice behind what I pretty much was my philosophy and attitude. And, and it was not all about being Pollyannish, which people would think I was early in my career, um, but it was a real gift over the years 
coming from the high-tech automotive industry where people could get into weaknesses and threats and deficit spirals, and it was competitive. It was so refreshing to learn about appreciative inquiry. And the second gift was obviously um, meeting Sherry. We met in Washington, D.C. We were at some kind of um, appreciative inquiry meeting, and we just really hit it off and talked about what would it be like if we could bring appreciative inquiry into everyday living. And it took us um, maybe 15 years to really figure it out. (laughs) Um, We had written a book on dynamic relationships. It's all about the relationships we thought. And and that went really well. And and we got back together and, and we were invited to do a second edition. And what we realized through the coaching of our editor, Steve Parasante, um, it's our conversations. I mean, if you're listening, imagine how much of your awake hours are you having a conversation with yourself, with your kids, on, on, your, on your smartphones, on emails, face-to-face? Um, we ask this question and people will say anywhere from 90% to 110% of the time, they're in conversation. So um, that brought us to to this book. And, you know, you bring up Ted Lasso. I want to point out to your listeners that um, my <laughs> undergrads, my young students, when when I would teach appreciative inquiry conversations, you got to watch Ted Lasso. I'm thinking, <laughs> Why would I watch what these young kids are watching? And then when I met you two weeks ago and you said, you have to watch <laughs> Ted Lasso, I asked my husband if we could purchase Apple TV. And um, <laughs> it's the first time I've ever been watched anything, but I saw seasons one and two in two weeks and we were so glued and we fell in love with Ted and all the characters yeah. around him. Oh my God. Thank you. Wow. Okay. First time so- I've ever binged. <laughs> hold, hold on. Is that a real statement? Have you never binge watched a TV show before? No. <laughs> I think that's been watching when you watch two seasons in two weeks. Yeah. 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 That's mm-hmm. good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if it was like one day, but it was two weeks. It's very year. good. Yes. I, whenever Game of Thrones was on, I was like a big Game of Thrones pusher. And so it would be funny because I, I would meet people that'd be like, oh, I don't like the show. And I would work with them and I would, and I would just chisel away at them. And then I would see them come to work and their eyes would be red. And they'd be like, I stayed up till four o'clock in the morning watching Game of Thrones. And I was like, yes, I got you. Well, it was like a marathon, a few, few episodes every night for two weeks. And we did it. I mean, it's not healthy, but it's, it's, it's really fun. (laughs) Okay. So if, if someone, if someone, you know, a lot of our listeners might not know about the world of organizational development, appreciative inquiry, and that's okay, right? Like, we don't we don't need to take a deep dive into this academia field right now. Um, what we really like to do is take some of these concepts. So one of the things I think is so brilliant about Ted Lasso from being somebody who has that background is because they take all of these concepts that we love and they bring them to life so that people can see it right in front of them, how effective it can be if you, for for instance, go in and don't try to change things immediately, or you use a positive approach or a humanistic approach. Like it, it has made it so that it has changed the conversation that our people are having around leadership, which is something that we love. So we're not going to dive deep into everything today, but what I would like to ask you is, so let's say I've never heard of appreciative inquiry before. How would you explain it to me? Um, 
probably, and I'm thinking how Ted uses it too, that think about this appreciative inquiry is about discovering the best in your people, the best of what was, what is, and what's possible. And, and that's what you're trying to do. And if you looked at the words appreciative and inquiry, it's by asking questions. Inquiry is so powerful. And I remember one of the episodes um, he, that he said he was playing a dart game. And if he says, if somebody was just curious and asked me if I knew how to play mm-hmm. darts, maybe he wouldn't have made that bet on me. And he had this whole story of why he was great at darts. Um, and then the word appreciative. The word appreciative means that I value to value you and value the situation and add value. So imagine as a leader working with your team, just learning to ask questions that value the person in the situation. Sherry, would you add anything else? Or or that ask questions that actually add value to the conversation or the situation, which is because sometimes appreciative inquiry gets this rap that, oh, it's all about the positive. Um, And it's not, it's all about adding value. What's an example of a question that you maybe you hear all the time that does not add value and then compare that to something that sort of sits within appreciative inquiry that actually is appreciative, adds value, leads with curiosity. What's a sort of a before and after? So um, one of the ways I think to tell whether or not you're going to ask an appreciative question or what we call a generative question versus a different kind of question is what's the motivation, what's underneath it. So if I ask a question like, um, and it usually comes out in the tone of your voice, there's judgment or blame or something. So I might ask you, why did you do it that way? What were you thinking Mm. when you put together a report in that way? Now, I can also ask the question by saying, tell me about what you were thinking as you put the report together. And a leader who asked the second question is starting instead of from a place of judgment and the person was wrong, they're starting from a place of, I wonder what the thinking process was. What were they missing? Maybe I didn't share it with them. Maybe they need some training. Um, you know, you could do this with your with families and kids. How you ask that question of the teenager, um, you know, what you either explode with with a. It sounds like a question, but it's not really a question. It's coming at the teenager with, um, you know, you were out again and you and you didn't call and you just explode, versus. Um, you were late again. Can you tell me what happened? Um, mm-hmm. Giving that, giving that opportunity. You know, starting from a place of maybe I don't know all the information. Let me make sure I have it all before I jump to any kind of conclusions. So it's a mindset shift. It sounds like it is yeah. most definitely a mindset and a, and a and also a body set. Because when it when we if we get into a place where we are reactive ourselves, and and we are um, we're feeling either attack and blame at a person or a judgment, um, that reactionary mode is going to trigger a much more deficit based question, 
And so if, if people become more conscious of, oh, I am about to react, I can feel that in my body to just stop, pause, take a deep breath and remind yourself to get curious. What don't I know? What does the other person know? What assumption did I just make? I have a colleague or former colleague that used to always say, get curious, not furious. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. I love that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so hearing you all um, speak, it reminds So I um, learned and practiced design thinking, mm-hmm. you know, for, for most of my career. And now I use design thinking sort of to solve for talent and people and culture challenges. And so it resonates quite a bit, this idea of like, just you can't go in pretending or assuming you know the answer because then you just sort of close yourself off to possibilities. And it sounds very similar to that. Like, and, and you learn so much about how to phrase questions, right? Again, sort of like you either, you could phrase a question where it's closed, right? And you're <laughs> limiting what you're going to hear back versus keeping it open. Yes. And are there like any tips, like any sort of keywords that you would recommend when you think about that, like phrasing a question? Yeah, I think um, when you think of generative questions, which appreciative inquiry is, they're um, open questions, something real simple. I could say, do you like red or blue? And then we're done. Or I could say, tell me what color you would really like this brochure to be and, and why and why and you know and then you're going into really discovering what would be a great color and why versus one or the other yes or no it, mm-hmm. it's, it's leading into that um that that curiosity mm-hmm. yeah it, your question also reminds me of um a group that I was working with a couple of weeks ago and the the uh, it was a it's a small local company and the the owner of the company was working in a small group and they were working on, um, they had scenarios and they were supposed to ask questions. What kind of generative questions could you ask to start opening up this conversation? And in this particular situation, um, the situation was that the, those who are sitting at the front desk are always feeling like they get stuck at the end of the day, having to do everything and stay late. And this is very common in a small office where there's a front desk when people walk in and the owner, his first question was, well, why don't you try this? And, and the, uh, one of the, the, the women that was, had been, running the scenario, she said, well, that wasn't really a question. You just gave us an answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and he he called me over there and he said, is this a generative question? Um, And and then she she said what what she had shared. And I said, well, what kind of a question could you ask that would not give an answer, but would open it up for possibilities? And so he said, oh, what do you think we could do here? Mm-hmm. And then he went, oh my goodness, that just opens everything up. Mm-hmm. And it was such a surprise aha for him. And again, as you as you had said, it's a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, um, yeah, it's that, that simple shift that uh, in, in their thinking process. It's so interesting how words can just change the dynamic of like an organization, what people are doing. Like I always think about the example of 
how help me understand. So that would that, you know, now it's negative, right? Like using that phrase where you're like, help me understand this, it makes people skin crawl. Yeah. But it used to be a powerful question. And then people misused it because I, I think what happens with some of these questions is when they like evolve into the dark side, is that people aren't using them, they're using them almost as a manipulation tactic. Mm-hmm. So like if you really want to understand, like people can see that on your face. They can see that you're not just trying to feed them something. But if you use this word, like help me understand or tell me more, and it's just like, it's not used in a positive way, people can see it and then it loses its power. I was going to say, because like now, like help me understand or walk me through your thinking. So like, it really does start with the mindset, because if you're not being intentional about it, it's going to come through in your tone. And then you just sound sarcastic or condescending. So it really, (laughs) it's not just about picking the words. It really, again, is like, is your mind and heart in the right place? Are you being intentional about this question? Otherwise, you're going to, it's not going to land. Yeah. Is that congruence between body mindset and the words you're using? And Kara, you just said the very first principle of appreciative inquiry is social construction. Our words create our world. Yes. So what you're saying does matter. It makes an influence. And, and I love that too, that reframing that there has to be a congruence of, of what you're saying, because it really does. I, when, you know, I had such an, an interesting, um, introduction to appreciative inquiry because my first organization was in the backyard of Case Western, which is where David Cooper writer, who was the one that started the methodology, um, he lived, right? So anytime we would change a process, we would bring the whole system in and we would have an appreciative inquiry exercise for two days that David Cooper writer would lead himself. And when I left that organization, I was like, this isn't how the world of work (laughs) world. Like, I am so confused. I was so ruined at an early age because then I would see these situations where people would want to change a process and they'd be like, well, I'm just going to tell them to do it because I'm the boss and they should listen to me and they should just do it and be bought in. I'd be like, hold on. I'm very confused here. So, um, so selfishly, now that I that I have my own consulting practice, something that I want to pick your brains about that I run into all the time is how do you help organizations transition from maybe this depreciative mindset where they're looking for all the problems to be fixed, where they're they're looking at people as problems into an appreciative inquiry, an, an appreciative mindset? Like, what are some of your success stories of helping people transform um, and go through that process? Well, you'll never want to um, sell them them on this. Um, And again, I'm thinking about Ted. He said, believe um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that first episode. And so when I, when I work with people who are kind of resistance, resistant about it, you go in there, you, you're not teaching them appreciative inquiry. You're, you're, you're doing it. And, Mm. um, you know, one of the stories, one of my tough, toughest stories is when I was going into an organization to help them shut down the plan. Hmm. The good news is we got three years. We're going to figure out a three-year plan. The 400 of you are not going to lose your jobs tomorrow. It's We're going to phase it out. And somewhere between Sunday and at night and Monday morning, when we started the dialogue, the, the mindset set into me. And um, we said, well, you know, 
what if we could revitalize this plant? And oh, I had wow. to say three times and there were 120 people in the room representing the 400. They were angry. They were not happy that the holding company on the East coast was shutting them down. And they're like, you're here to create a plan for three years. And I said, what, what if we created a plan for revitalization and we would shut down in two years if the revitalization plan didn't work, we are giving the holding company what they want and we're giving us what we need. And the plants never closed down. They, they were empowered. We went through the cycle. We spent, they came up with a plan to revitalize the plant. And when they, the plant manager went to the holding company, you know, they were saying, well, okay, but if this doesn't work, you're shutting down in three years. Right. And they said, yeah, right. And the plant never shut down. Wow. One of my favorite stories of yours, Jackie. (laughs) It was my scariest story to go in there and think I got to help figure this out, but they revitalized the plant. It came up with the plan themselves and, and, and made it happen. Mm -hmm. What a wonder, what an amazing story. And it's the other, uh, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, and it speaks, um, uh, Kara, to what you said about uh, when the boss says, just do it and people should buy in, that when people create the plan, they are so fully bought in that their whole lives are committed to making it happen. And the difference for any organization that has engaged the whole in purpose and in um, planning and one that is directives from the top. It's like night and day when you walk into those organizations, you can always tell. I I was going to say what I really love about it too, is taking a challenge and reframing it as an opportunity. So I do that quite a bit with my clients as well, right? Because it's, it's very easy to go down this like, and feeling very constrained and limited and like, oh no, what do we do next? But if you reframe it as an opportunity that has multiple possibilities yet to be found, which can be scary, but still possibilities, it opens up the thinking. And so I love that. And how do you see it sort of, you know, kind of play out in the day to day eventually, right? So there's these big mm-hmm. kind of those big moments when you're taking on a client and you're baking, you know, that that meeting where you're like, well, what if instead of planning the next three years to shut down, we're, 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 we're planning to revitalize. And then sort of if I were to check in on those people now, like how, how are they talking to each other? What's happening in their day to day that you see like, are the descendants of, of you planting, you know, um, appreciative inquiry. You know, I, I think of, um, as a quote by David Cooper writer, it's in our book, um, in, in the introduction. And he says, people flourish or flounder one conversation at a time. So think about when you're entering the room or when you're entering the office or someone is, or saying, your words are going to, and your questions are going to either open up people and connect and flourish, or they're going to shut down and and be closed and disconnect and not want to be there. So what you think, how you're thinking, how you say it and what you do does make a difference. I I also think that um, very often when appreciative inquiry is used like for a whole system engagement change or strategic planning, It does not always filter. In fact, I would say often it does not filter down into the day-to-day conversations that people have because for so many years, appreciative inquiry was seen as 
a methodology for engaging whole systems in meaningful conversations. Um, and, um, you know, we got, I, I feel like we stumbled into conversations worth having um, just because, as she mentioned, Steve Parasanti, our editor, kept pushing back when we would put something out. He'd go, nope, that's not it. And we'd put something else out. Nope, no, that's not it. And we're like, tell us what it is. He's like, I don't know what it is. I just know what it's not. And when we landed on, oh, my goodness, it's the conversations. Um, many of our AI colleagues were when they read the book, they're like, oh my goodness, why didn't we think of that? So it feels like it actually, it was ready to come through mm -hmm. when it came through in the book. And what I have found um, is that going to prospective clients or families or anyone to say, we have this great approach, appreciative inquiry, you explain to it what, explain it to them and they kind of get it. <laughs> But when you go to a prospective client and you say, what kind of conversations are you having? Hmm. And what, how are they influencing your capacity? They're like, oh, oh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh, my goodness. And then, and then the question is, how can we change our conversations? Um, and the two practices, the generative questions and positive framing that you just, the framing you know, creating more positive frame. Those two practices, when people in an organization learn them and understand um, how they can practice together to use them, they literally change the culture of an organization. Mm -hmm. And the practices are simple. They're not. They're not necessarily easy because we have. Problem solving is a habit, you know, we've been trained since the time we were little to problem solve. And we are, uh, we have a negativity bias that's our mm -hmm. brains are wired that way, but our brains are also wired for connection and um, creativity and higher order thinking. And we have control over whether or not we help one another access the better parts of our brain or not. And it's all through our conversations. It's so lovely, too, because we're talking about sort of the, the questions you ask and how you frame it and the mindset you use. But on the other end, the person is feeling heard. Yes. I appreciate it, right? So there's, there's yeah. I don't want to lose sight of that because the, the, it's so powerful that if you can get an organization or team to start practicing this, imagine not just being really good at asking, you know, open-ended questions. Great. What a good skill set. Yes. And also imagine a team that feels really heard that people are listening to them, that it feels safe to share. Like that's, I think, super powerful. Back to Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> it is very powerful. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a neurological component to it as well, which is partly what, what um, I think is why it makes it so powerful because when, when we're critical, when we're, um, either defensive or attacking, we don't have as much access to our, our whole brain at all. And organizations really need everybody's creativity and capacity to connect. And, and you can only do that if you're having conversations that are either worth having or affirmative. Yeah.
My my last organization, which was uh, I talk about them all the time, but they were just a, they were a beautiful place to work. And one of the reasons why they were so strong is because we took everyone through conversation classes. So there was a core belief that every interaction mattered, and so we would teach people to how to have conversations. And when I started there, I was I was a facilitator, and I started learning about conversations for the first time and that connection piece of how. Every single, every conversation that you have makes up your life just blew my mind. And, and, and then I would find that like people afterwards would come up and say that like, this has not only changed my work relationships and my leadership, but it's changed my entire life. And I was like, that is my goal. Like that is a life's work to teach people how if they could just adjust the conversations that they have a little bit, it will affect every part of their life in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the summary of the whole book. <laughs> it's a beautiful book. And one thing, one thing to focus on, you know, that's that line, that appreciative and depreciative. Um, we say in a book, in our book, you will have the ain't it awful moments, the ain't it awful conversations. And you will go like down into that dark space or the negative space. But when you learn to pause, breathe and get curious, you'll bring yourself back up. It might take you 30 seconds, three minutes, maybe a couple hours. It depends the situation. But you'll you'll know now that there is this technique to tune in and that you can come back above the line when you've yeah. fallen below it. Yeah, it's all about being really the... Um, you being in charge of your conversations instead of your emotions, your drug, your biases, your triggers, not enough sleep, all those things. If you don't take charge of your conversations, they will. Awesome. Okay. So last thing that we have for you today. So we see in this first season of Ted Lasso and Jackie, now you're a fan because we've converted yes. you. We're so happy. <laughs> An expert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of it is about starting a new team. So he is coming into this new team and he's taking it over and he does things differently. So what advice would you give from appreciative inquiry conversations worth having of, of, of how people could, could change the way they approach a new team when they're entering a new organization. Cause there's a lot of that going on right now. There's we're in, we're in the midst of the great reshuffle, right? So yeah. a lot of and, uh, leaders are next, like leaders, if they haven't started shuffling around, they're about to start shuffling yeah. even more. So if you are a leader and you're joining a new team, what are ways that you can do it with a, with a positive approach that's different from, you know, the fumbling ways that people normally do right now? Having just watched the episodes, um, top of my mind. You know, I I remember Nate, the water boy, the water boy, and he asked, "What is your name?" And he, nobody ever asked his name, is what he said. And so, you know, you think about whether you have four people, forty or even four hundred. And my new provost did this with four hundred faculty. He went out learned who we were, our perspectives, our strengths, what motivated us, what our wishes were, um, you know, and he also, I've watched him as a leader. He knows when to push you, but also when to step back and give space. And that's what I kind of saw, you know, um, in, in the episode and finding um, common ground. And, and the one thing I appreciated because of the athletic nature and big teams you know, you may have a superstar in sales. And I remember Ted Lasso saying, you may be one in a million, 
to those fans, but when you're with me and you're playing on the field, you're one of 11. And, and it was the, I paid attention because Sherry said, pay attention because she knew I was going, you know, it's, you can be one in a million, but when you're playing, you're one of 11 of us, you're part of the team. And so I think that's, um, you know, it's really important to get to know your team. And, and the other thing we do a lot in organizations, especially now we're all back into the organizations. If I walk by and say, hi, Virginia, and I keep walking, that's one thing. But if I say, how are you, Virginia? I need to stop and listen because I've asked you a question. How are you? And I need to pay attention to you. You just b- b- sparked a question because, you know, we're now living still very much in a Zoom heavy remote heavy world. And there's a lot of upside to it, right? We've, we've learned a lot of what we can accomplish from the comfort of our homes. And I think what you just shared, the, you know, the water cooler, the bump ins, the casual collisions that my, my old employer used to call it, <laughs> that, that do build those connections that remind you that you're part of a community that l- makes you feel less isolated. Like, how are you seeing this play out now in a, in a very um, hybrid or remote world? Like what are some piece of advice you'd give a leader to build those moments? You know, if you're talking in the zoom environment, which we're is we get so quick into, okay, let's get to the agenda, get going, quick off, run to the next click. Um, it's, it's actually taking time to check in. And if you're the meeting facilitator, think of a quick check-in question with everybody and if you're having 45 people, it's I call it the um, the chat waterfall. Ask a question and say, I want everybody to type their answers. And when I say enter is when you enter. And then you watch the chat waterfall of what people are thinking when you come in. So you just have to be a little more creative. How do I connect with you in maybe just a minute or so if I have a lot of you in my meeting or if there's just four or 14 of us, how do we just do a quick check-in? I I think there's another piece of, um, and it's I think it's the changing. You mentioned we're in transit transition, and this is like the great reshuffle, and leaders are next. Um, and I think I think the next iteration for leaders is less about being the person at the top who has the answers, which is what it has been in the past. And instead, it's the person at the top who can ask the questions and facilitate the um, collective intelligence of the people working in the organization. That it's it's a leader's capacity to foster self-managing and self-organizing groups within the organization. And if, if a leader shifts their whole mindset and being towards that, which is not easy because the ego is so connected to having the answer. Um, But if they do shift, it leaves a lot of room and space and time to, to ask people questions, to do those short interviews, even on Zoom to say uh, to a team, you know, can we connect for 10 minutes? Tell me when you got a 10 minute slot. And it's, and it's not business. It's how are you doing? How are things going at home? And what questions do you have for me? Or just sharing my answers to the same questions that I'm asking so that it's it's about building those relationships and finding ways to 
support excellence in every single person within the organization. And what's interesting is that they should have been doing that all along. And what an opportunity that I see in this virtual world is it's actually demanding better behavior. Yeah. Because being able to rest on your laurels, maybe you could do that in an office because you can put forth an image. But so like, even if you take the, you know, a really simple example of not multitasking when you're talking to somebody, right? Like, so if you're face to face, there's part of you, even if it's mentally, you're multitasking, you can sometimes get away with it, but you have to be so intently focused on a phone call with somebody or else they are going to, they, they can feel it, right? Like if they know, you know, if somebody's not engaged if, if there's a phone call. I don't know why it's different, but it is. There's something about the virtual environment that's that's demanding people change and, and, and lean into the leadership behaviors that we actually need out of leaders, which is being a facilitators and not being the grand overlords that have all the answers and create dependence. I went to this conference ages ago. It was about like the fashion tech industry. There's a point to this, but I, I was, I was <laughs> sitting, I was, uh, there was a panel and, and I forget who one of the guests was. It was like a CEO of a new fashion tech startup. And I can't remember who it was, but the point is she said something fascinating. She's like, I always, as the CEO, I think about the upside down org chart. I'm not at the top, I'm at the bottom. And so the people who report into me are the people that I'm responsible for supporting and upholding. And then therefore, and then they have to uphold the next, right? So it's, she wasn't, you know, seeing herself again as that overlord, but rather, who am I supporting and, and really prioritizing the people on the front lines mm-hmm. who are really like the face of the business, yeah. meaning all of the support was going to them. And I thought that was really lovely reframe. I it really is. did. It's a beautiful reframe. And what you were saying really, I don't know. It just reminded me of that, of, mm-hmm. of how you go into a team and really think about your role, not as always the decision maker, but sort of the facilitator, the person that's there to get, really great ideas out of others. Well, and I think that given our world today where there is so much rapid change and so much ambiguity, it is impossible for one or even a small group of people to have all the information and be able to come up with the right solutions or answers. You've got to be able to access all the intelligence in an organization. Um, and so leaders who are capable of doing that will be the best leaders of the future. That's what I think. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. So last thing we're going to ask from you today is if you could just leave us with one piece of sage advice for our leaders that are out there, maybe if they're new leaders um, or just, you know, kind of trying to hone their practice, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? And then um, just, we would love to hear where to find you and we will definitely plug your book. If anyone's listening, Conversations Worth Having is one of that, that book will change your life. So please go out and buy it and let's continue the conversation after this too. Don't kill me. No, no, no. I do want to hear about where we can find you, where we can find your book and the sage piece of advice. But I also (laughs) maybe afterwards, I want to talk about because Jackie just binged the show. I'm curious. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so I mean, yes, we want to direct people to your website and buy your book. Absolutely. Please do not lose sight of that. However, we we have someone who just binged the show. Jackie, yes, okay, you have to spill it, you have to spill it. What were your favorite parts? Yeah, you go, yeah. you go, Virginia. Yeah, tell, what's your favorite, like, what was your favorite character or moment that, like, still sits with you? 
I fell in love with Roy. Yeah. You know, because you watch him change and you see how real he is versus the first episode. So I really mm-hmm. liked Roy Kent. Mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with all the um, characters. And to me, um, Ted Lasso is a positive contagion. Um, and, and you can see see the effects. So that was probably, um, you know, what I really, um, I, I really adored the characters. And the other thing is, um, you know, I remember, I think it was the end of season one when they lost. And, um, and he said, we did not win, but we succeeded. And you know, I really thought about that. And he also said, um, it's okay to be sad. And look at, we're all sad together would you want to be sad alone and that you have sad moments and, and that, um, you know, you will have those in it awful moments. And then how do you, as the leader, let your people have those ain't it awful moments, but you have to know when it's time to, all right, let's move on. And, and that's what you begin to do. So um, I, I, I'll just remember the goldfish, you know, <laughs> goldfish yeah be a goldfish yeah be a goldfish <laughs> and if you don't know what be a goldfish is um you need to at least watch the first episode of the <laughs> so i won't give it away but be a goldfish Excellent. sherry sherry you're a fan so we still have to ask you this question too what were what were some of your favorite parts of season, season um, one boy uh I watched it long enough ago that I can't tell you specific parts. Um, but what I, what one of the things that stood out so strongly for me is it didn't matter how many times somebody messed up or was mean or did the wrong thing. He was always open to the possibility that you could change. Mm. You know, okay. If that's the way you want to be, that's fine. But, but I still think there's a different person in there. I mean, that, that to me is the epitome of um, strength. When the world keeps telling you this is the way it is and you don't take on that assumption and you stay open, uh, I think that's hard for people to do. And I think he was, he was an exceptional model of even when he got really down, he would come back around and be open again. Um, yeah, because people were really mean to him. I mean, so oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And most of us would crumble. That's great. And he just kept saying, it's not about, I know that's not about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's an easier said than done. But yeah, it is amazing yes. that, that he had developed that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, true resilience. Mm-hmm. And egoless. Yeah. Yeah. We always yes. say about we always say yes. about Ted, like he just doesn't have an ego. He doesn't care. Yes. He's like, this isn't about me as a person. This is just about the things that are happening outside of me. That's that's a them problem, not a me problem. Exactly. And when it would be like, oh, it's a them problem, it, it was also said with a level of empathy. Like, oh, I, you, yes, they just yelled at me and cursed me out. But gosh, I wonder what's going on with them that made exactly. them feel this way. Well, the line, yeah. 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 I know that's not who they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Looking sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I had to interject. No, but I, I think that was important. And it is, it, that is so appreciative inquiry, looking for the best in what is in every person, no matter how bad it looks, 
there are moments of lightness. And if you can find them and shed a light on them, they grow. And that's exactly what Ted did with so many people. He kept shining a light on their goodness and it grew in every person. Don't you feel like there has to be somebody on staff? I've done research into this, into the writers, but like, like when I first started watching the show, I was like, someone has been studying <laughs> the same thing I've been studying and somehow they incorporated this into the show, but I haven't found any proof yet. Like that, like that, that happened. Like there was, there was somebody from a university that was using this whole thing as a metaphor to teach people lessons. <laughs> I just want you to know, I went to Costco and bought um, 200 goldfish <laughs> to hand out to my athletes on Sunday. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Costco, can you find it really cheap? Jackie, you are bought in. You really are a believer now. <laughs> I knew she would be. She, she yeah. is. My lasso. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Will you take a picture of that and send it to us, please? Yeah. 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 Okay. We, we have to see that. We're going to, we're going to post that up. That's an awesome story. Amazing. Okay. And I, once again, apologize that I interrupted, but I just had, to, I was too curious. Too no, curious. Uh, we, curious. We couldn't, we couldn't do this and not ask that question. You had to ask it. It's beautiful. <laughs> okay. All right. So one piece of sage advice um, for our listeners, um, and then um, please tell us, tell everybody where they can find you so that they can keep in touch and follow you after this. Gosh, one piece of sage advice. Um, <laughs> no pressure, but make no it mind-blowing. <laughs> I say this a lot, and I know I said this at the beginning, so I'll end in that. You know, what you think, what you say, and what you do does matter. Yeah, love it. When, when you get triggered by something, pause, take a deep breath, and get curious. Imagine you only stand in a one foot by one foot square, and that's all you know. Everything outside of that is your guess. So get curious about the world beyond your own frame. Mm. Whew, just gave me chills. I know. Like I needed that reminder today. <laughs> and, and a and tip I, would be if I could follow up with you when you find yourself wondering what someone else thinks. Pick up the phone and ask them. Yeah. And don't wonder and have, you know, and have that conversation with them. Or don't make it up either. Yeah. We, and yeah, we wonder and then, yeah. and then make it up. <laughs> and it's never good. It's never like, I bet that they just misunderstood what happened. It's always like, they're out to get me, blah. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people like your feelings are valid and they're very real. The stories you create to explain <laughs> your feelings might need a little questioning sometimes. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Very wise, sage truth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Where can we find you? Because this is so exciting. We want people to go follow up with you all. Well, so, well three letters. W, w, well, www. It's cwh.today. Just type cwh.today, which stands for conversations worth having.today. But that's a lot to type in. Either one will either one will get you there. <laughs> Great. Um, and of course, there's and on on the website we have a lot of information. There are videos that will help you learn more about the two practices and tuning in circles. Um, um, if you want to learn more about flipping a negative situation into a positive frame, 
on uh, four times a year on Mondays, we run something called Kickstarters, which is free. And you can register for that and bring your tough situation to a group of people and the group, you know, it's a working session. So people, we flip tough conversations into positive frames and people ask questions and, um, and we have boot camps and there's just, there's a lot of information there that will support you. Wonderful. And this is just my, this is just my plea to anyone that's out there. Go learn about conversations. If you haven't already, if you haven't ever picked up a book, this is a wonderful book, but but go get curious about the conversations that you're having in ways that you can make them even better because it seriously will transform your leadership practice. It'll transform your life. It has definitely for mine. And the more that you lean into it and you learn about conversations, you end up teaching others and you become contagious just like Ted Lasso. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.